The Theonauts, episode 66, the one where we don't worry, Beatitude. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theo peacemakers out there. I'm David Gaddy, and you're listening to the Theonauts podcast. Yes, I'm in the studio again alone this time. Um, but you know, I think it'll go a little bit better because I've got one of these under my belt now and I think I am ready to rock and roll. So, um, I hope you guys had a great, uh, Labor Day weekend, you know, just coming off of that three day weekend. I know that I did had a chance to hang out with my kids and my grandson and got to babysit him over the weekend and had a great time, fried up a little fish, you know. Texas tradition here on Labor Day, and uh, just had a good time. It's pretty hot. I don't know, um, you know, where you might be listening to this at, but uh, here in Texas, man, it decided to to wait till late to crank up the heat. I mean, it's been in those triple digits. But uh, anyway, it was a really good weekend. had a had a great time. I went and saw the War Room. And I know we talked about that on the last episode with um, with uh, Brian Gadawa. And uh, as you probably remember from that conversation, uh, I was happy that the War Room had uh, opened with a great weekend and did really well at the box office. Um, but, you know, uh, we had talked about how the, how Christian movies um, the quality of them are, and et cetera, et cetera. And so I went into this movie with not, you know, huge expectations, but man, I really, really enjoyed it. Now, once again, it is a flat-out Christian movie for Christian audiences. So, you know, you bear that in mind. It's not going to convert any of your friends. <laughs> so don't so don't bring a bunch of people to the to the cinema in order to convince them. Uh, this is a this is a Christian movie for Christian. Christian people, and uh, but it, it it's a really good study on prayer, and uh, you know I think that that you know we had a, a an episode on prayer, and um, we talked about you know especially here in our Western culture we you know it's almost like prayer is an afterthought, um, you know we like we pray before our meals. Prayer is like the 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 segue between sections of our worship services you know it's like oh we're gonna sing a song now we're gonna pray now we're gonna preach now we're gonna pray again now we're gonna have a communion service now we're gonna do and it seems like you know prayer is this is kind of like the perfect little divider tool but um but i I think that we've kind of missed out on on the power of what prayer really is all about and so i thought the movie did a really good job of uh, bringing that to light and showing how important prayer is in your daily life and how uh, once you get God on your side, you can fight, you know, these battles that uh, 
that uh, that come our way. And the movie also does a good job pointing out that the enemy is not the person you're arguing with or having problems dealing with, whether that's your husband or wife or or uh, family members or whatever, but the real enemy is the Satan, the accuser, the one that's out there, you know, who came to to uh, lie, cheat, steal, and destroy, and that's the that's the guy that uh, we're fighting against. And uh, prayer is a powerful weapon against him. And the uh, the Kendrick brothers did a a really good job, I would say, from a quality standpoint. This is probably the highest quality film that they've made. Um, it was there was a little bit of cheesy dialogue, kind of at the first. You know, uh, where I say cheesy dialogue, the the acting wasn't all that great, but that kind of disappeared uh, pretty quickly on, and uh, I thought it was a pretty pretty decent film. So uh, go out there and support those guys, and uh, and of course, you know, it's doing well again this this week. It was um, it was the biggest seller this week as well at at the box office. So. Uh, that's a, a good thing. So I'm going to hit a few uh, news stories here. And now the news. So I'm sure you guys have all heard about Kim Davis, who's been um, uh, detained, arrested for uh, not signing off on same-sex marriage, marriage licenses. Uh, and... Uh, so the most recent news is that uh, basically the judge says that uh, Kim Davis can go free as long as she does not prevent marriage licenses from being issued. The Kentucky County clerk who refused to issue marriage licenses because of the Supreme, Court same, Supreme Court's same-sex marriage ruling may soon be released from jail. The judge has ruled that Rowan County Clerk Kim Davis could go free if she agreed to not attempt to prevent her office from issuing marriage licenses. Last week, Davis was put behind bars when a judge ruled that she was in contempt of court after she refused to issue licenses. Because she claimed same-sex marriage conflicted with her religious convictions, after she was jailed, deputies at her office removed her name from the licenses and began issuing them without her permission. On Friday, her attorney called them not worth the paper that they are written on. It is unclear at this point if Davis will accept the new deal. And so this has been all a buzz. Um, she's been the champion for many, um, many uh, right-wing candidates and, and Christians have been rallying behind uh, Kim Davis. And uh, I got to say that... This is one of those stories where I'm just a little torn personally. Um, we were talking about this, you know, over the weekend with my uh, with my son-in-law, and and the, here's and here's why. I mean, it's not that I it's not that I am all for same-sex marriage or anything like that. It's that um, I think that we do a really poor job as Christians delineating between sins and and this sort of thing, and so. Uh, you know, for example, if you're a county clerk and your job is to sign off on these marriage licenses, um, what other Christian or uh, what other sinful activities does the world do that we take issue with where we could say, well, I'm not signing that marriage license because I disagree with your lifestyle? I mean, it doesn't have to be the same sex thing. It could be 
It could be anything. I was like, uh, oh, you guys are, are um, uh, you know, living together and having premarital sex, you know, or whatever. I'm not signing off on that. Um, or maybe one of the person you know is an alcoholic or one of the pe- people who is uh, an abusive uh, person and uh, or you they're getting married for a reason you disagree with. I mean, there's tons of things that we could do as Christians that, you know, it's it's almost like if, if this is going to get in her way, maybe she needs to have a different job. <clears throat> but at the same time, I mean, I understand. <laughs> I understand uh, from a political standpoint um, the issue. It's just that I, I think that we as Christians are kind of slanted on... on uh, on some of these these sins, and um, so you know, you know, the scriptures are in First in Corinthians five. It does talk about how we we aren't meant to judge those who are without. You know, yes, there are sinners outside of the kingdom, um, but um, they need Christ. That's the they don't need to change their lifestyle. They need Christ, and then once once they find, let Christ do the fixing. You know, of of their lifestyles and and that sort of thing. It's not our job to fix their lifestyle prior to Jesus. And so, um, so yeah, I, I really don't know how I feel about you know this whole story. I'm definitely not going to be on social media uh, trumpeting <laughs> this. Uh, but it's it's interesting and it's definitely something we're talking about. And um, and we've been uh, talking about these things with our our friends and family and churches and, and that sort of thing. Um, so that's, that's an interesting thing to, to take note of. Um, let's see, what else do we have here in the news? We have hundreds of Muslim refugees converting to Christianity in Germany. Uh, thought that was kind of interesting. Hundreds of refugees seeking asylum in Germany have converted from Islam to Christianity at an evangelical church in Berlin. Though the country has taken in thousands of refugees from Syria in recent weeks, most of the converts at Pastor Gottfried Martin's Trinity Church in the last two years are from Iran and Afghanistan. According to the National AP, the local evangelical church has gained a reputation for, being, for reaching out to Muslims and offering a course in the basic tenets of Christianity. One factor that may be contributing to the high number of religious conversions, though, is the increased chance of receiving legal political asylum as a Christian. In countries like Iran and Afghanistan, converting from Islam is a grave crime, meaning Germany could be more likely to grant refugee converts asylum if they faced almost certain persecution if they returned home. However, Pastor Martins told the AP that just 10% of those who convert abandon uh, the church, adding, I know there are, again and again, people coming here because they have some kind of hope regarding their asylum, and I'm inviting them to join us because I know that whoever comes here will not be left unchanged. So thought that was thought that was very interesting. And then uh, finally, as as I had mentioned uh, earlier, the uh, the prayer movie The War Room took the number one spot this weekend at the box office again. Uh, Christian film is officially the biggest movie in America. War Room, a movie about prayer from the Kendricks Brothers, the filmmakers behind faith-based flicks including Facing the Giants, Fireproof, and Courageous, has taken in nearly $28 million since its release two weeks ago. 
despite being produced on a $3.5 million budget and receiving mostly negative reviews from critics. I think uh, last time I checked, it was somewhere around 30% on that tomato meter. So, uh, which, you know, most of the people hating it are just people hating it. So, um, and I got a little... Brothers and sisters, come together. Yeah, believe it or not, I got some Pope news, <laughs> and I actually had uh, it was it was it was kind of funny. I had uh, um, Meredith Neal, who is Riley's mom, came by and gave me a uh, National Geographic that actually has the Pope on the front of it, and uh, <laughs> and she came singing that little hymn there that. <laughs> That was really funny. But anyway, there is a little bit of Pope news. Pope asked Catholic leaders in Europe to take in Syrian refugees. Addressing Vatican Radio this weekend, Pope Francis told members of the Catholic Church in Europe that the gospel calls us to be close to the smallest and to those who have been abandoned. Asking leaders to consider housing Syrian refugees who are fleeing death in conflict and hunger. Tens of thousands of Syrians have fled violence from the civil war and the spread of ISIS in their country, seeking safety in European countries. The crisis has been continuous among some political leaders who have limited the number of Syrian refugee seekers their countries will accept. In his address, Pope Francis said, May every parish, every religious community, and every monastery, every sanctuary of Europe host a family, starting from the diocese of Rome and adding that the two parishes in the Vatican these days will welcome two families of refugees. So uh, some, some good encouragement there about uh, bringing people into, into your home. And, you know, I think that's, that's very interesting. It's one of the things, actually, that Jesus mentioned whenever he was talking about um, feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and, and all that sort of thing. And, and, um, and inviting strangers into your home. And it's something that we don't do too often. I mean, uh, we think about the dangers inherent in that. But uh, good advice there, especially in a, in a place where, you know, you've got all this problem, all these problems happening in Syria, and people are, um, are looking for a refuge. And I think um, that, that we as Christians, if we have the opportunity, we need to be helping those who are in need and those who are, are struggling to find their way. And that's exactly what is going on there um, in nations next to, next to Syria. And once again, I have feedback. Uh, it's not voicemail. But our good friend Philip Hurd, who uh, is our patron saint from uh, who through our GCT network, um, has been, has once again left us some feedback, and so I'll share some of that with you. Uh, in reference to my first attempt at going solo, <laughs> he uh, he says excellent points about measuring success and being wary of doing so by contemporary culture standards. I think this verse really applies to the principle. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 in the New King James Version says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
I think this means we shouldn't judge or value our value according to Twitter favorites, Facebook likes, iTunes reviews, downloads, etc., but that God is more concerned with the condition of our heart and our faithfulness to Him. And the more I think about it, perhaps we need a contrary view of these sorts of things. Rather than finding affirmation and approval in them, maybe we need to look at them as opportunities to encourage, love, and affirm others, and then just let God assign appropriate value. Just a thought. Great solo episode, David. I'm sure it's not easy to fill up an entire show by yourself. Great job. Well, thank you very much, King Philip. I appreciate the encouragement and the feedback. Um, it was um, it was it was actually fun to do a study like that, and we're going to try and do it again this week. So, um, I you know some of these things that I've got on um, I, I've got tons of of these little sermons. Um, I'm I'm actually on the speaker's schedule at my at my church. And so I have some sermons and things that are in my repertoire. And so they've actually yielded themselves, you know, quite well to this format. So that's what we're going to try and, and, and do in this episode as well. I uh, hope that there's something that's said here that at least make us think, because, you know, it's not about me trying to tell you how things are or trying to uh, o- overly... Um, explain a bunch of stuff that you might not understand. That's not the point at all. Uh, I don't know any more than you do. My, uh, it's just, you know, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can read these things in the scriptures. Sometimes you read a scripture over and over and over again, and uh, then some days somebody else will read it to you, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, there's something there that you heard that you never thought about it from that particular standpoint. And uh, but this time it, it like resonated with you and maybe made you think of another verse that led you into a deeper study. And so that's the point is to encourage each other and to, um, to build one another up and uh, edify. As, as, uh, and, and edify doesn't mean I'm telling you how it should be. Edify means to build you up, to give you the tools that uh, you can use to further study. So just like the point that Philip made here, uh, I didn't make that point exactly, but what he gained from all the discussion that, that I had about, uh, about how God is looking for, and Jesus is looking for quality in service and not necessarily a bunch of numbers and not to be measured the same way we measure things, but instead measure them in quality of service and looking for those who are devoted to him more so than numbers, led him to to this thought about King Saul and about how everyone loved King Saul. I mean, who, what's not to love? Look at the guy. I mean, he's this huge warrior type of guy, stood head and shoulders above everybody else. But God says, don't judge him by his appearance. I've refused him. <laughs> we don't want to hear that, right? I mean, we want the guy to be the hero. We, we, we like those type of guys. And, uh, but, you know, God sees things through a different lens. And he's looking for the inside. He's looking at the heart. And uh, so just like he says here, that's a great point. Uh, Here on this podcast, we encourage you to like us, tweet us, you know, uh, all this this stuff. Give us stars, review us on iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. And those serve a purpose in that it, um, it helps others to hear the show. But 
The flip side of that is we're not looking for praise. We're not looking for rewards. And we're not looking to see, you know, oh, hey, this episode had so many listens and we're so great and blah, blah, blah. No, um, because that's not what's that's not uh, where this judgment comes from. God, th- th- God doesn't care how many times this podcast gets played. Um, instead, he's more interested in uh, did the people who hear it actually got, get something from it um, was was my heart as the one who's presenting to you was it bloated out of proportion and, and prideful or was it uh, given in a humble spirit and that sort of thing so once again we're looking for quality and service to God and not necessarily just trying to become popular because that's not about what we're trying to do at all uh, although it does help if you will like us and tweet us because we want everyone that can to listen, but not because I'm you know, wanting to inflate anything on our side. So uh, thanks again, Philip. And uh, while we're talking about Philip, he also gave us another comment uh, on last week's show, the interview with Brian Gadawa. He says, this was a cool episode. And I am stoked that Brian Godawa's books are on Audible. I love books, but I'm also exclusively an audio listener. I'm excited that they're available. Here's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. The world does not need more Christian literature. What it needs is more Christians writing good literature. Thanks for the show. Well, thank you very much, Philip, and thanks for that C.S. Lewis quote. I absolutely love C.S. Lewis. He's, he seems like a, he is an inexhaustible resource for, for wisdom. <laughs> and, uh, and once again, uh, well put. Uh, another thing that I might mention here is that I am friends with Philip on Goodreads. I don't know if you're familiar with Goodreads, but Goodreads is a, is a kind of a social network for book reading. And, um, and so it's interesting to see, uh, you can rate books that you've read and that sort of thing. And then you can have, you see what your friends rate books. And I find that Philip and I have very similar taste in the books that we are reading and liking. Uh, so, um, very excited that, uh, that I am friends with Philip on Goodreads. And if you would like to, uh, be my friend on Goodreads, then I am more than, than happy to have you because I'd like to hear what kind of good books are out there and why you like them. Uh, one more piece of feedback before we, um, before we carry on. Uh, we have a, a Facebook visitor that left us a comment. <clears throat> he says, hey, guys. Uh, this is, by the, by the way, his name is Jake Blair. And he says, hey, guys, I really enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. I'm a missionary in Peru, and I'm always on buses or in taxis making my way around the city we live in and enjoy passing the time with some theology from your podcast. One small recommendation I have is that you turn down the volume on the music intros. It's louder than the volume of the rest of the show, and it blows out my eardrums every time. Thanks, and God bless. Well, Jake, thank you very much for listening, and it's great to know that uh, that we're being transmitted all the way into Peru, and that we're reaching the ears of of, of missionaries over there. And um, I, God bless you, brother, for what you do and for bringing the word to uh, that part of the world. Um, we have a great heart here on the show for 
uh, missionary work. And as we've mentioned on the show before, we do our work. We do some work in in Haiti, and um, uh, have some some friends that we that we are are tied to that that uh, we do that do some work for us in Costa Rica, and. Um, we're we're just you know on on fire for this. I think that this is is what God intended uh, for us to be. Uh, not is is helping everyone the world around. You know, and and uh, that starts at home. It starts right next door to you, um, but it extends out infinitely. Uh, so you know, there's God didn't put the borders there. We did that, and uh, so wherever you see the need. That's where you go, and and Jake, we really like to to hear from you and hear from others that are out there doing his work in the field. And um, glad that you're listening to the show. I do apologize for busting your eardrums. It was never our intention. Uh, you can just chalk that up for us being uh, pretty lousy uh, sound engineers. <laughs> it's not my profession. <laughs> at all uh we are we are i'm a software engineer i I don't mess with this stuff but you know we are trying and learning our best and hopefully on this episode i was kind of mindful of that uh so let me know how it worked out (laughs) if if your eardrums survived long enough for you to hear this episode then uh (laughs) then let me know Okay, so here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Beatitudes. Um, and, you know, the, the Beatitudes, uh, for, for those of you who, who may not know, I'll go ahead and start there. The Beatitudes are traditionally what we call the uh, nine blessings given to us. It's the very first of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus first began his, his uh, sermon, He's, he begins it with some blessings, and um, so what I want to do is I want to talk about it, and, and, and the reason why is because I've always read these wrong, and I'm sure if I read them wrong, other people read them wrong, and uh, once I really started studying what these are about, um, it hit my heart in a, in, a, in a bigger way than it ever had before. Um, because what is what what are these about? Um, this these are about blessings, but what is but what it, what kind of, of blessing? When we think of blessings, what do we normally think of? We normally think of good things that God has given you, and or um, we we think of you know for example we might consider our car a blessing or our house a blessing or our job a blessing. Um, and so because we think in those terms, when we read the Sermon on the Mount and we hear blessed are the so-and-sos because so-and-so-and-so-and-so, we read it like uh, God's going to bless you uh, if you're like this. And um, that's not what it's saying. <laughs> um, this is about being a happy person. And you might say, wait, what are you talking about? Well, bear with me for a minute. The Beatitudes are about being happy. And so that's technically what this episode is about. This is about being happy. You know, 
the all the, the the little smiley faces, you know, don't worry, be happy, all that sort of stuff, feel good. This is Jesus when he started his sermon. He he basically gave us a recipe for being happy. Um, so if we look at uh, everyone's interested in being happy. I mean, if you were to take a poll, you know, studies have shown that one in every one person wants to be happy. Nobody wants to be unhappy. It just doesn't exist, right? I mean, everybody is after contentment. They're after happiness. Um, Benjamin Franklin once said, the Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself. <laughs> Steve Martin, um, the, um, the comedian, said, I've often said, the only thing standing between me and happiness is me. Uh, John Lubbock once said, happiness is a thing to be practiced like the violin. So what makes you happy? So stop and think about that for a minute. What, what does it take to make you happy? Um, is it friends? Family? Physical possessions? You know, your car, your house, like we said before, your TV, your video games. I mean, what is it that makes you happy? Um, is it God? I mean, have we got to the point to where God makes us happy? That's where we want to spend our time. That's what we want to focus on is God and Jesus and, and the love that he gives to us. And does that make you happy? You know, it's kind of lofty for us to 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 say that like if you were if I were to say prioritize the things that make you happy yes Jesus and God should be at the top of the list but is it really I mean are we do we put it there because we know that's what we're supposed to say um is that where our happiness really lies you know um it, when when uh, Jesus said where your treasure is there's where your heart is going to be. You can, you can determine what makes you or what you think makes you happy based on where you spend your money and where you spend your time. These are indications. You, you might stop and say, well, you know, Jesus is the most important thing to me and he's what makes me happy. But then stop and look at where you spend your, your resources, your time, and your money, or do those things reflect that, or do they reflect something totally different? Um, and so, we want to look at what these Beatitudes tell us about being happy. And uh, uh, once again, you may think they're totally unrelated, but we'll get there. Um, one of the things that 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 I think that we have to, to realize is that God does want you to be happy. And no, this is not going to be a Joel Olstein sermon or anything like that. So, <laughs> so don't, don't get up in my grill yet. <laughs> this is not going to be word of faith, speak it, uh, reach it or whatever they call that. You know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be where, you know, where God, he wants the best for you and he wants you to have a million dollars. And if you don't have it, it's just because you don't have no faith. No, I'm not going to go there. 
He wants you to be happy. But the question is where your happiness comes from. You see, we've been sold a lie here in not just in America, but all over the world, but but in America especially, uh, because we are inundated with songs telling us what makes us happy. Books and and movies and um, all these things, the entertainments that we surround ourselves with that tells us what it means to be happy. And those sound good, but you know, whatever happens at the end of that happy, happily ever after story, you know, whenever the, and they lived happily ever after, what does that mean? It's at the end of all these fairy tales. Well, it's like because you've reached a pinnacle in the fairy tale where you've received what makes you happy, and then it says, and they lived happily ever after. Really? I mean, you don't think that Prince Charming and Cinderella had some fights in their marriage? <laughs> or that, you know, he became a slob and he left his underwear laying in the middle of the floor or whatever? Or that, you know, he, uh, you know, was... was uh, <laughs> you know, letting off gas around her. <laughs> she was like, get out of here with that. No, you see, happiness isn't about what happens at the end of a fairy tale. And that's just a bill of goods that we've been sold. And you get it everywhere. Uh, you hear this term, the American dream. Well, what is the American dream? To own a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath uh Two-car garage, uh, is that what makes you happy? This American dream. Or, in fact, does that American dream get in the way of what really makes us happy? You know, I like to call it the carrot on the stick syndrome. You know, that old thing where you put that carrot on the stick in front of the mule to make it go forward. Um he never, he's never going to get the carrot. It ain't, it's never going to happen. And the reason why is because why? That stick never gets closer. He's fooling himself by thinking that walking forward is going to make that carrot get closer to me. But that's exactly what we do. We think of that mule as, as a simpleton because he's fooled by that. But yet that's exactly what we do, is it not? You know, I'm, I'll be content. Let's say you're, let's start young. You're in school. What's the goal? When are you going to be happy? Well, if I can just make the team, football team, baseball team, basketball team, whatever it is, if I can just make the team, I'll be happy. Well, you make the team. Then what happens? Well, now it's a bunch of work because you have to win. Okay, well, if we can just win, if we can just win one game, just one game, we'll, we'll be happy. Well, then you win that one game. Are you done? No. There's always that carrot on the stick. Well, we've, we've got a win district, or et cetera, et cetera. Let's say, and, and the season's over. Is, is it through? No. Uh, man, this is just, it's becoming, I'm hating school, et cetera, et cetera. It'd be great whenever I can graduate. If I can just graduate high school, I'll be happy. Well, you graduate high school. Then comes college. Well, and some of us, 
college shows up. Some, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's some, something else. But whatever. There's always that thing. And well, if I could just get a job, if I could just find a job, if I can just find a wife, if I can just find a husband, if I can just have children, if I can, if there's always that thing on the horizon that is supposed to make you happy. And then you get there, but it's always the next thing. If I can just get that raise, if I can just get that promotion, if I can just get to retirement, oh man, if I could just retire, life will be so great. It's a lie, folks. It's never going to happen. If, the, if your happiness is, is focused on something that's out there, out of reach, you've been lied to and you're buying into it. It's the pot at the end of the rainbow. Have you ever tried to get to the end of a rainbow? Well, anyone who knows anything about physics will tell you there is no end of the rainbow because it is an illusion of light bouncing off of the rain, the water in the atmosphere. There's not like a physical place where that rainbow touches the ground and there's this magical pot of gold at the end of it. But you can spend your whole life trying to get there. No, happiness is very much attainable. But it's obtainable in a different way because it's not, a, it's not something on the horizon. It's something that's right here in front of you. And Jesus gives us the, the secret sauce right here in these first few verses or this first few part of his sermon. So let's read the first 12 verses. I'm going to read from the NET today. And let's listen to how Jesus begins his sermon. When he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. Okay, so he kind of ends there on that last little part about rejoice and be glad. All of this is leading up to this. Let's 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 stop and look at the structure of what he's of what he's saying for a minute. First off, this word beatitudes. What does that even mean? Well, it's not a biblical word technically. 
unless you're reading Latin, <laughs> because you won't see this word be attitude anywhere in the scriptures by itself. How and 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 you know, for me, I always thought when someone said beatitude as a as a child or whatever, I always thought they meant it's an attitude you should be. You know, <laughs> like it's like it's be this attitude, but that's not what it means. Um, that word beatitude uh, comes from the Latin translation of the word blessed, because there's nine times Jesus says blessed are. This word blessed is in the Greek makarios, and in the Latin it's beatus. And here's what it means. Be happy. You might think, well, wait a second. <laughs> I thought a blessing was just something that God gave you, that God blesses you with this, like endowment. But that's not what it means in this context. It means be happy. So, uh, it, it, so we can read this in terms of happy are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are those who mourn, which sounds like an oxymoron. But there's all, but we'll get into all that and, and, and see uh, what all's going on in, in here. But uh, it's often used, this, this term, uh, uh, makarios, is often used in relation to positive choices that you make for righteousness sakes and how it delivers happiness to you. In John 13, verse 17 in the ESV, says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he's, once again, this is about, he's talking about commandments, mostly commandments around love, because remember, the greatest commandment is love. He's, if you do these, you're going to be blessed. The word blessed there, makarios, beatus, happy. Happy are you if you do these things. Uh, in Acts 26, verse 2, Paul's talking to Agrippa, and he says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Fortunate. It's the same word. Beatus. Makarios. Happy. I consider myself happy to do this. This is a joy to me. Even when trying to fix problems and disputes among brethren and Romans 14 talking about how to deal with, with, with this type of thing, it says there in Romans 14 verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves of. Blessed, beatus, makarios, happy. You're happy if you choose to understand this. These beatitudes are delivered in a style that the listeners would have understood. It's poetry. The Psalms were delivered in poetry. The Proverbs were delivered in poetry. Ecclesiastes were delivered in poetry. Poetry is a big part of the Hebrew culture. And Jesus 
starts out right where everybody expected a rabbi, and that was to speak poetically. And that's exactly what he does. Now, here's one thing that we do in the English language that is not necessarily um, in the Hebrew language. We're big on on rhyme and meter in the English language when we talk about poetry. You have your limericks, you know, you've got, well, that's the the pentamic, iambic pentameter from Shakespeare. It's it's about meter, and then you've got rhyme involved. Uh, we don't really consider it a poem. Most Americans don't consider it a poem if it don't rhyme. <laughs> At least here in Texas, we, we don't consider it that. <laughs> so it's the Yellow Rose of Texas. I'm coming to see. No other feller knows her, not quite as much as me. You know, you've got that, you've got the, the rhyme. The rhyme has to, to be there. Well, it's not that way in the Hebrew language. In the Hebrew language... What was more important was rhyme of thought. Okay, so think about that for a minute. You take one thought, you sandwich it between another thought, or you create a parallel of another thought, or you set it opposed to itself, and like an antonym. Uh, This is poetic structure in the Hebrew language. And Jesus uses two different types of poetic structures here in this um, beatitude portion of his Sermon on the Mount. He uses what's called parallelism all throughout. He uses something called introverted parallelism, which the best way, and that's a big word, but you you don't have to memorize it. You're not going to be tested on it. But all it means is, it's a thought sandwich. <laughs> That's the easiest way to get your head around it. Okay, so we're going to say uh, three lines in this poetic structure. The first line is going to say exactly the same thing as the third line, and the line right smack in the middle is going to be the meat of the sandwich. Um, so that's how he delivers uh, two-thirds of this um of this passage about the Beatitudes. The third uh, uh, portion of it, he uses uh, what is is called a uh, synonymous parallelism, which simply means you, you state the same thing um, in a synonymous way to give it more impact. Uh, so with that in mind, let's go and let's look at the parallelism that is given in Jesus's thought. So um, Matthew 5, let's look at verse 3, um, 4, and 5. So um, I think that's, yeah, 3, 4, and 5. I'm going to read it again in the NET. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, that is a um, a stanza. That those three together make up an introvert. um, (laughs) They're intro. I'm introverted sometimes, but (laughs) an introverted parallelism. In other words, it's a thought sandwich. So verse three and verse five are pretty synonymous in what they're saying. 
So let's look at it. I know it's kind of it's kind of wordy because what does it mean to be poor in spirit? So happy are the poor in spirit for the for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Well, this word poor is the Greek word uh, ptochos, which means undeserving or a beggar, so to speak. So um, let me ask you if you know anyone who in their own mind is rich in spirit. <laughs> you point to someone that, that is like that, and I guarantee you you're going to find someone who is pretty sure of himself. Um, but what it's saying here about being poor in spirit is someone who sees themselves as poor in spirit. They might not necessarily be that way in reality. Their spirit inside of them, actually, the Holy Spirit, is probably working overtime. But they see themselves as poor in spirit. This echoes humbleness, meekness. Somebody who does not have a high opinion of themselves from a spiritual standpoint. And I know you know these Christians. They're the ones who will say to you, oh, I just wish I knew the scriptures better. I really don't. And then they'll sit there and say something. And it's like, you know, they quoted, you know, some obscure passage. <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean you don't know the scriptures? You just, you just nailed that. Or, or they'll give you some thought that is just so profoundly God speaking through them. And, and, and it's like, wow, you have no idea how powerful the Spirit is in you. But see, that is the point. The minute you get in the way of God and He's not coming out is the minute it becomes all about you. It goes back to what Philip was talking about earlier, about how men see themselves, that head and shoulders above everybody else guy. He's the important guy. No, the important guy to God is the one who says to himself, God, I, I've, I've got nothing to offer, but I will be whatever you want me to be. That is the guy who to himself is poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those type of people. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. You're happy when you get to that point. Okay, stop and think about that for a minute. The guy who feels like he's the best preacher, who feels like he has the most to say in the Bible study, the guy that has that feels like he is just rich in spirit, that guy is the one who's not content. That's the guy who is going to constantly be trying to look better in everybody's eyes. The one who, who even if it's something he doesn't know anything about, has to say something because in his mind, he's trying to be acknowledged in front of everybody else. That guy's not happy. It's the person who is content to sit there and listen and grow and pick up something that he didn't know before, who considers himself a learner and not a teacher necessarily, but could probably teach everybody in the room. That guy is happy. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That whenever you get to the point to where you're poor in spirit, in your mind, then the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. You are what the kingdom of heaven needs to be filled with. Now let's jump over verse 4 and let's look at verse 5. 
Because in verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Isn't that what we just said? Pretty much. We, it, we understood the first blessed to be about being humble, about being meek. He reiterates that. This is what makes it a sandwich. You're looking at one piece of bread and the bottom piece of bread. The bottom piece of bread is saying the same thing as the top piece. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So think about this for a minute. He's creating a whole thought. Poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Okay, stop and think about this for a minute. The meek person, the person who is meek, is a content person. The content person is happy with what he owns, right? He's not always after that carrot on the stick. He's got a small little home. That's fine. He's happy with it. He has no aspirations for a bigger home. He's got a car that gets him from one place to the other. Yes, it's an old 1976 Gremlin, but doesn't matter because it runs. God be praised. You see, that type of person has already inherited the earth. He's happy. There's nothing on earth that is going to make him any happier than what he already has. That meek person. He's not the guy climbing the corporate ladder. He's the guy who's happy to work in the mailroom. He's the guy who's happy to drive the truck from point A to point B to deliver your mail or to deliver your UPS package or whatever it is. He's, he does not, I'm not saying that those jobs are any less important than any others. That's not my point. My point is being that those are jobs that the corporate ladder climber is going to see as less important. But the person who's doing it and happy in that job, he's already inherited the earth. While you're trying your best to inherit it, you're working so hard to inherit the whole earth, you're never going to get it because it's a carrot on the stick. But the guy who's happy with what he has, the meek guy, he's already done it. He's already inherited the earth, and therefore, he's happy. So Jesus isn't... These are not... If you are like this, then I will give you this reward. That's not what he's saying. These are cause and effect. If you will be like this, this happens already. Okay, so you're happy if you're meek because you've inherited the earth. You're happy if you're poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you too. So you see, what the, the, the meekest person is the richest person, both on heaven and earth. Because he has everything he, he could ever desire on this earth. He has what God has blessed him with, and he's happy with that. In heaven, he's got a home with, with God the Father. He has no aspirations of anything greater than that. That, that, is, that is the pinnacle. And, and, and of course, he's happy with it. Now, Let's look at the meat in the middle of the sandwich. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what is this saying here? Um, if you are a humble person, if you are a meek person, then there is something that begins to happen to you. 
when you look at others. If you're not so focused on yourself, there's something that happens to you when you look at other people. You know, it sounds really weird when you read verse 4 all by itself. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does that even mean? It's an oxymoron, as I said before. It sounds like it's stating the opposite. Happy are you if you mourn? But what are you mourning? It is my contention that given in the context and the poetic structure of this passage, I believe that what the happy people are mourning are not their own problems, but the problems of other people. Because when you're meek, whenever you are poor in spirit, then you are focused on things outside yourself. You're not as concerned about your own well-being as you are that other person's well-being. And when you see that hungry person, you're hungry for them. When you see that person who's lost a family member, you weep. Not because you lost a family member, but because they did. And seeing that just tears you up. So much so that it might as well have been your child. You see a brother who's struggling with a sin. And you feel like you're struggling with it with them. You know, Galatians 6 and 2 says, if a, if a brother be overcome in a sin, you who are spiritual, go unto them. But be careful, unless you shall be tempted yourself. Wow. You hear what it's saying? It's saying when you see someone struggling, you go, you go after them. You don't call them back. You go after them. You don't point your finger from a pulpit to the back of the pews and say, you need to straighten your life out. No, no, no. You go and get that person. When that person doesn't show up because that person's too busy getting drunk in the bar because he's an alcoholic or he's hung up in some, uh, uh, some drug den, you go get him. That's what it means to, 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 to go and get them. Why else would there be a warning to you to be careful so that you don't get caught up in the same thing they're in? And that's going, that's being empathetic. That is putting yourself in the, in their shoes. James said, weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh, mourn with those who've mourned. You see them. And you are just, you pour out to them. Um, the Hebrews were pretty good about this, actually. They had a whole, they had a whole thing around mourning. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't hidden like it is for us. Uh, for example, there was something that the, the Jews would do, the Hebrews would do, called sitting shiva. And sitting shiva means... My friend just lost something great, a loved one, or um, <clears throat> he, he is in mourning for some reason. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to show up at his house, and I'm going to sit there with him. I'm going to sit there with him, and I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to cry with him. I'm going to hold him. I'm just going to be there. You know, 
Job's friends did that for him. And it's honestly the best thing they did because the minute they opened their mouth, they just blew it (laughs) because it was the worst counsel ever. (laughs) But the first seven days they were with Job, they did some good. That's where they should have ended. That's what they should have been content with. And that's what the meek people are content with. Do you think Job's friends were meek and poor in spirit? Of course not. They spent their whole time, once they opened their mouth, telling him how sinful he must be because there's no other reason why God would do what he's doing to Job. And Job can't argue that point. That's all they ever knew. That's the same logic he grew up with. They would have all thought the same thing. Job didn't have privilege of knowing the counsel that happened in in the heavens with uh, Satan. He doesn't doesn't know that that's going on. And of course, his, his friends don't either. So what kind of counsel are they given? The only counsel they know, you must have sinned. And of course, Job, still being prideful himself, says, I haven't done anything. Well, there's nobody without sin. So he, he, he couldn't have even claimed that. But that shows that his counselors, his friends, weren't meek people. They didn't just mourn with him. But anyway, if you mourn for those that, that, that you love, which should be everybody, you see people hurting and you hurt for them. It says, happy are the people who do that, for they will be comforted. You know what? Some, If you sit with a friend who is suffering, and you're there with them through thick and through thin, the minute that you have any problem, don't you think that friend is going to be there for you? And don't you think that, that God is going to bless you? And, and, and he, you'll be comforted both on earth and in heaven. So this is the perfect little sandwich for, these, for this, this, this first uh, stanza that Jesus gives you about being happy. In other words, be poor in spirit, be meek, mourn with other people, and you will be happy. So look at the next stanza. The next stanza is also an introverted parallelism. Uh, you have verse, uh, it actually goes four verses here, uh, six, seven, eight, and nine. Um, six and eight are parallel. And then the meat of the sandwich is verse seven and nine. So it's not quite a sandwich. It's kind of like a Big Mac. <laughs> so, so, you know, if you got an extra piece of bread... <laughs> They're in the middle of two pieces of meat, <laughs> but anyway, it's um, it's the same. T- it's the same idea, though. Uh, so let's look at it. For example, uh, in the NET, it says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God." Okay, so let's look at the parallel passages. Verse 6 and verse 8. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 8. Happy are the pure in heart. 
Now, are those not roughly the same thing? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Stop and think about this for a minute. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or is it take it and leave it? I'll show up on Sunday. Leave me alone the rest of the week, Jesus. Some people, that's where they're at. But what he's talking about here is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And one of the things I find really cool is there's a third parallelism that's happening here. We started in verse 3 saying poor in spirit. Jesus used a, a metaphor for people who are less fortunate, the poor. And once again, he does the same thing here. If it, hungry people, thirsty people, blessed, happy are the hungry and thirsty people. Well, once again, that sounds really weird when you, when you think about it in terms of if I'm hungry and if I'm thirsty, I'm kind of miserable. I'm not real, I'm not, I'm not happy. But what are they thirsting after? What are they hungering after? They're hungering after righteousness. In other words, I am sick, sick to death of this filthiness that my, that's in my flesh. I'm sick to death of, of the want, the lust, the, the, the trouble that I find myself in all the time. I need spiritual nourishment. I need you to fill me. Lord Jesus, please. That, that is the attitude that he's talking about. If you have this hunger for righteousness because you see the the person who doesn't who thinks he has righteousness is he a happy person no but that person who is who is who sees himself as still reaching for righteousness they're the ones that will be satisfied in finding it the verse um verse 8 says, pure in heart. Blessed are the people who are pure in heart. Well, you have all these passages that talk about how the heart is deceitful above all things. And, and, and you know, so many Christians I've heard say, you can't trust your heart because of that verse. But they're not reading the other verses. What was it that, 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 that David asked for in Psalms uh, 51? Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. This, in fact, is what was promised to us um, in Ezekiel 11, verse 19. Speaking through Ezekiel, God says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. So he tells us here, you're going to get a heart transplant. And some of us may need more than one. I know I have. But he's faithful to do that. That prayer of David is called a man after God's own heart. 
And he's saying, create in me a clean heart. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. That desire, that willingness to say, I'm sick of this flesh. I'm sick of this stony heart. I'm sick of looking at the poor and not feeling anything. I'm, I'm sick of, of my lack of faith. You know what the disciples asked Jesus? Help us in our unbelief. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. You know how damaging that would be for me to hear Jesus say that? Oh, perverse generation, how long must I endure you? (laughs) Wow, thanks, Jesus. But you know what? I know he would say it to me. I know he would say it to me over and over and over again. So it's it's almost good that he's not here in person (laughs) to tell me. (laughs) I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to let me know that that's what he's thinking. But you know, that's what leads us to, to happiness, though is that hunger and that thirst for it, that pure, finding that pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. That that's doesn't mean the person who never sins. That doesn't mean the person who never has a problem. That's the person who is constantly being renewed, who's constantly asking, constantly getting that fleshy heart placed in place of that stony one. Why are they happy? Because they will see God. They will see God through that. You know how many times if you'll just open your eyes where you'll see God in what he's doing in your life, no matter how much prob- how many problems are there or how many times this just didn't work out. And, and God, I don't know what you're up to. This doesn't make any sense in my life. Can you please explain it to me? Do you really want that answer? Because I guarantee you, if you got it, you'd be like Job. He'd show up in the whirlwind and tell you to sit down and shut up for speaking counsel without words of wisdom and for for saying things that you have no clue about until you got to the point of where you were like Job, like we mentioned last time, who, who, who finally said, I repent in ashes. There are things too wonderful for me to know. And I... And, and, and I see myself as who I really am, undeserving of your grace, undeserving of your blessings. And yet, if I just open my eyes and look around me, they're everywhere. If we'll have that heart, that's what it means to be pure in heart. To be one who's constantly seeking to get that heart regenerated, constantly seeking God. Why? Because when you seek God, you will see Him. In the things around you. Now let's look at at the the meats of this Big Mac here. You've got uh, verse seven says, "Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy." Okay, once again, the sandwich, the bread part, is talking about fixing yourself. If if you fix yourself, if you get if you get the right attitude toward God, then you're no longer focused inwardly. It's the same thing we saw in the first stanza. You're not focused inwardly. You're focused outwardly. You're focused at other people. And what does this do? All of a sudden, you start becoming merciful. Happy are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
You ever been done wrong? Yeah. You ever been betrayed? Friend ever lie to you? Husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, cheat on you? Betray you in some way? Man, that's, sometimes it's hard to forgive those things, isn't it? But yet, you'll be happy if you do. You'll be happy when you're merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Because the result of mercy is a conscience that's clean. The guy that carries the, the grudge around with him forever is not happy, is he? Because there's always that thing there. There's always that family member that you just didn't reconcile with. There's always that, 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 that friend that you haven't spoken with in years. I don't know about you, but I've lost friends. Death took them before it took the animosity between us. Before it fixed things. That's not a happy thing. But yet, if we'll have mercy and we'll have grace in our hearts, we'll be happy people. And why shouldn't we be? You know, remember, don't forget the bread around this piece of meat. Looking for that righteousness in God, finding it in God. What does that do? That lets you know when He gives you that pure heart, when He gives you that clean heart, what does that do? That tells you something. That tells you that no matter how many times you screw up, David, no matter how many times you mess up, and no matter how filthy you are in my eyes, I will forgive you if you are searching me, if you hunger and you thirst for me, if you are really thirsting for me. It is an unforgiving well of forgiveness that came from the blood of my very own son. And I will cleanse you over and over and over again. Man, if you've received that, if you've seen that, if you've laid eyes on God, because that's what it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. If you, if you lay eyes on the God that's willing to do that to you, how can you look at somebody else who's offended you and not want to give them mercy? It feels good to do that. It feels great to do that. A weight is just lifted from your shoulders whenever you're willing to have mercy on other people. Micah. The sixth chapter, verse 8, says in the ESV, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does God, or what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Wow. That's it in a nutshell right there. What does He require of you? Do justice. Love kindness and walk humbly. Isn't that what we're talking about here? That's what Jesus gave us in this sermon about the, the, the recipe for happiness. 
justice. Mercy and justice go hand in hand. Why? Because mercy rejoices against judgment. That comes from James, third chapter, <clears throat> or sorry, second chapter. Uh, let me get to where I was. James, second chapter, verse, uh, I believe it's 13. He says, well, let's go to verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. That's a law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, when it comes that day and I'm standing before God and the books are opened and he's looking at all those things that I've done, I don't want justice for myself. <laughs> I want mercy. And there's not a single person listening to this who won't feel the same. Because no matter how good you think you are with God, those books are going to reveal otherwise. But it's that other book that's open that's an important one. The book of life. Is your name in it? Is your name in it? Because the name that's not in that book is the one going into the lake of fire. And that is, that is mercy given to you by Jesus Christ. So blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Verse 9 is also part of that meat of the sandwich. It's that, it's that outward showing of what happens whenever that internal thing is fixed. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? What does a, what does a peacemaker uh, do? Well, a peacemaker is someone who seeks peace and tries to make it happen. You know what? I'm, this, is, this, this hits me square between the eyes because I want to be right, dude. <laughs> if you and I are having a, a dispute about something, I am going to be right. I'm going to show you the scripture. I'm going to show you where you're wrong. <laughs> it's in my, <laughs> it's just in my makeup. And it's one of my flaws. But I need to strive to be peacemaker instead to be long-suffering to realize i don't have all the answers to know that that every now and then i'm going to be wrong too <laughs> and uh sometimes when you know that you're sitting with somebody and you're never going to come to a consensus it's never going to happen you just know it how do you resolve it the peacemaker finds a way Peacemaker is striving after that peace. While we were talking about James in the third chapter, it also tells us there, verse 16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason full of mercy. There's that mercy again. 
same sandwich here. And good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness, part of the same sandwich, by the way, righteousness. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace just doesn't exist. You have to make it. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy to swallow your pride. It's not always easy to eat crow. It's not always easy to back down when you know in their heart of hearts that you're right and that other person is wrong. But sometimes it takes a conciliatory attitude to maintain peace and love and the friendship and unity and all these other things we're called to have as Christians. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, when you're pure in heart, you'll be merciful and you will be a peacemaker and you will be happy because all those things bring contentment and happiness to you. Finally, the last stanza is a a different type of parallelism. It's the synonymous parallelism. So basically, there's no sandwich here, just two slabs of meat or two slabs of bread or whatever, but it's... uh, Verse 10 and 11 go hand in hand because they say the same thing, but it's repeated for emphasis, which means that here's the crux of it. Here is the bottom line to this poem that that Jesus so eloquently put together and gave to this crowd of people on the side of the mountain. He says in beginning in verse 10, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. So you're happy when you're persecuted for righteousness. You're happy when you're persecuted? How can that be? Well, it's because of what you're being persecuted for. Because it's something that you hungered and thirsted after, right? It's the thing that you found purity through, right? The thing that gave you a clean heart when you didn't deserve it, that had mercy on you when you deserved judgment. And now you're being persecuted, and that persecution is evidence that you found what you were looking for, that you were filled with what you were hungry with, that you got to drink some of that that you were thirsty for. You, This is evidence to you. It's happened. Yes, these people see it in me, and they're persecuting me. (laughs) And this is what happened to the apostles in the early church when they were were thrown into prison and beaten and went away rejoicing because they were privileged enough to have been um, disciplined for their righteousness. Actually, it's Jesus' righteousness shining through them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. So here is the parallel verse, which what he's doing is he's taking and saying the same thing, but expanding on it, expounding it, and giving you a little bit more uh, to give it more power, to give it more strength. 
He's, it's not good enough just to say you're blessed when you're persecuted, but you're going to be blessed when people insult you, when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely. If they're lying about you, if that's where they've got to go, then that should tell you something. Rejoice in this. Be glad when it happens because your reward is great in heaven. But that's not all. But also because you've seen it happen to people before you. You've seen all those martyrs. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we have books and books and books of stories of martyrs who have died for what they believe in. People who were killed in Colosseums, who were ran through with spikes, that were crucified, that were burned at the stake, that were fed to wild animals, that were killed in the gladiatorial arenas, that ended up... Um, in the the chain the dungeons and the torture chambers of the medieval ages being stretched and being uh peeled to death you have all of this before you men who even after death their bones were dug up and burned does it not feel good to be in that company I mean, yeah, you don't want to be flayed alive <laughs> no more than I do. But just think about the reason why it would happen. The righteousness, that it, the evidence that it shows. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great. So the, the, the thing is that you, you are in righteous company. And it's not that that you obtain righteousness. You've received righteousness from Jesus. So this is, this is the formula for being a happy person. You know, Paul himself said, I have learned that whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. That's where happiness comes with. Come, comes with contentment. It comes with being poor in spirit. It comes with mourning for other people. It comes with being meek. It comes from hungering and thirsting after Jesus and after God and their righteousness. It comes from being merciful to people. Happiness comes from being pure in heart because you've seen the very God working in your life. Happiness comes when you can make peace in the middle of a harsh situation. And happiness even comes whenever you're being persecuted because of your righteousness or because of Jesus' righteousness in you. So this is the study. I hope that, that, it's, that it's helped you. Um, I know it did me because I always thought of these things as nine things that uh, well, actually, I kind of thought out of as, as nine different types of people, like like verse three and verse four were two different types of people. You got the poor in spirit, and you got the guy who mourns. You're two different people. No, these are all these are all um, attributes that we should seek in order to reach a happy state. And of course, Jesus continued the Sermon on the Mount to expand 
on this idea of loving one another because if, that is really at the heart of it. Loving God and loving your neighbor. That's really at the heart of all this. You love God and that in turn allows you to love externally. First, you have to clean out the, that, 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 that uh, filthiness, which only Jesus can do. You have to clean that out and then you focus externally. And if you're and if you're doing that, if you've dedicated yourself to that, you'll be happy. But if you're always chasing the carrot on the stick, if you're always chasing that American dream, if you're always chasing that perfect romance from the Harlequin romance novel, or if you're constantly looking for that fairy tale you learned about as a little kid but have never been able to get to, if you're constantly looking for that happily ever after, you're always going to be miserable. So find your happiness in Jesus Christ and His righteousness and find happiness in your own meekness. I know it's something that I'm still trying to obtain myself. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network. Using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone, to find out more or to partner with us, visit us at gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter there and stay up to date with us on all the latest from our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema. And as I stated before, we've got some interesting things that on the on the, the horizon there at GCT Network, uh, some future shows that should be coming up pretty soon. There are also several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. You can send us email to, G, to theonauts at gctnetwork.com. We haven't had any voicemail in a while, but we'd love to hear from you. If you would call us on our voicemail line, it's 972-885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And don't forget to leave us comments and right there and to rate us. You can tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. Follow us on Instagram at Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com.